Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington football team for the Athletic, which of course means I'm once again dealing in legal minutiae that I didn't sign up for when I decided, hey, I want to cover a football team. But here we go again. The, there's more news in the air about the Washington football team this time. An interesting twist regarding the NFL. But we've also got to talk about a bunch of other things. Uh, is Russell Wilson truly available? I talked about that with our Seahawks insider, Michael Sean Dugar. Um, I spoke with one of the women who is um, involved in the uh, one of the former team employees involved in the uh, matter against the Washington football team, Rachel uh, Engelson, got her view on everything that's been going on. And right now we're going to talk a little bit also about the Washington Wizards because, hello, the Wizards made a bunch of moves. I don't know if they got better, but they made a bunch of moves. Here to talk to me about the Wizards, but also talk a little bit here about the football team is friend of the podcast, Mr. Ringer himself, Joe House. Joe. My guy. What's happening, Mr. Ben? So wait, wait, wait. We... We started off on the on the prelims here and we were kind of going through, can you believe what's going on at this juncture legally? But then in the intro, you slide in, is Russell Wilson really available? Whoa, whoa, what? Well, you've got my attention, my friend. Is Russell Wilson really available? Well, I mean, you know, you have to tune into my conversation uh, <laughs> in, in a little bit and see what we, we talked about it at length. I mean, look, it's become a topic of conversation. And when you're desperate for a quarterback, any nugget becomes potentially something to consider. I'll, I'll, I'll withhold my judgment somewhat here just for, for a little bit of tease factor, but yeah, I mean, it's at least, it's at least I will just say that in the conversation, I did not end it thinking to myself, there's no chance. That's great. I and can't just, wait. At least for him to be available. No, I understand. I, I can't wait to listen. It is it's mid February. So everything is possible, right? Like Aaron Rodgers could come here. He hasn't said that he flat out wouldn't, so all, all possibilities. Tom Brady could unretire and come here to Washington. That doesn't seem likely, but you look, everything is possible in mid-February, Ben. All, all of that is possible. So I think what we do is like, so Joe and I were just talking, we're, we were going to talk about the Wizards and we will. Um, we made a bunch of moves today, acquired Kristaps Porzingis and among others. So we'll get to that. Um, I want to, but I was going to talk a little bit about the news of the day and Joe and I were discussing online, off, offline. I'm like, well, let's do that here. And then we'll pause and we'll then talk about the Wizards and uh, we'll, we'll put that probably sort of towards the, the back end of some of these other topics. Um, and just as a reminder, you can, of course, follow uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. You are at House House from, from D.C. DC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Always. You can, uh, you can uh, of course, uh, subscribe to this podcast over uh, on iTunes or Spotify or, or follow on The Athletic. Joe's got 27 different podcasts. I can't even keep track. And any, anyone you'd like to, to mention here while, while we're here? Well, we did just tape the final episode of our mini series of NFL food cities for the house of carbs food podcast. We had the Buffalo wing up against the Philly cheesesteak. I'm not going to tell you who won, but I will tell you it was delicious. It was very fun eating food from most of the 14 teams participating in the NFL playoffs and, uh, you know, I had like I hadn't had ge- genuine brats and curds from Green Bay before. I hadn't tried the sourdough chowder bowl from San Francisco before. Terrific um, eating across the way. But we just went wings and, and cheesesteaks. That should be a fun pod for everybody. To listen to it'll be up Saturday. So wet your appetite <laughs> in advance of the Sunday Super Bowl. There, there you go. I'll, I'll just add this quick note. I've been trying. I've been eating like crap for the last 
two months. So this week I'm like, okay, I got to do something. I even went so far as to do a little bit of a, of a juice cleanse thing, but don't go too crazy. I wasn't going that nuts, but but I was going a little nuts. I decided that tonight I'm like, okay, I'm not feeling it. My head hurts. I'm going to get like a salad. I got to eat something basically. So I ordered from this deli that I always get stuff from and I used DoorDash and literally instead of bringing me the food that I ordered, they brought me somebody else's order, which was, I'm not kidding, five sandwiches, three of which have <laughs> all of which are like, like bacon involved in there. And then each, each of the five people who ordered a sandwich apparently ordered some sort of dessert. So literally the worst possible thing you could have when you're trying to not do better, it showed up at my house. Anyway. Mr. Sandig, the food gods have decided. They, they, they observe what you had going on in your life. They understand your good intentions. I will tell you in the same manner that the food gods just did. It's okay. It's February. Everybody is in this mode. We want nourishing, filling. And so you say, I eat like, I've been eating like crap. Well, it's because your body craves a, a mechanism for surviving the cold. And that is delicious food right around the corner. In, and, and we're lucky this week in DC, we have some, some of these days bumping up near 60, but the spring is, it will be in the air. And then you can have your juices and your salads then. They, Enjoy the bacon tonight, buddy. There, there you go. Well, you know, I wanted to get in my, you know, bikini uh, body going here for for, <laughs> sure. for for the warmer weather. Um, all right. So let's, let's let's talk here quick about the news of, of the day. It's been a lot of talk recently, of course, about the Washington football team for things that have nothing to do with the football side of it. Uh, and, you know, once again, uh, Dan Snyder is, is in the news. I didn't even do Wait, I can't remember. No, I didn't even do a podcast yesterday which on Wednesday, because we were, we were expecting, which did happen, that Roger Goodell was going to speak, hold his annual press conference, and would surely get questions about the investigation of the Washington football team. That was a bit preempted, though, because earlier in the day, Dan Snyder um, and his team over there decide to announce that, hey, we're going to conduct an independent investigation into the allegations against Dan Snyder that were levied at the congressional roundtable the previous week. Seems like an inane idea. You're the lawyer. I am not. But like, I don't know, investigating yourself doesn't seem like something that makes any kind of logical sense, let alone legal sense. Well, uh, especially with, with with an entity that has routinely and relentlessly um, scorned the benefit of the doubt with with us and, and, and demonstrated no commitment whatsoever to unveiling, unferreting and un, unvarnished and, and unbiased view of whatever may have transpired. Uh, they have they have no credibility in the first place, so not surprising at all to hear that that was their opening gambit, so they could produce a highly you know whitewashed version of whatever the fake truth um, was going to be. But please, I interrupted. No, okay. So, and obviously, you know, if you if you haven't already read, we're just going through this quickly. If you haven't already, if you're a little bit behind, you can go on the athletic on our breaking news team, and, and I also wrote a story yesterday about all this. Um, you can check all that, but. I think up until yesterday, the perception was at least that whatever is going on here, if you believe there's some something nefarious happening or whatever, or the or the or the you know the NFL and the and Washington are in cahoots would be at least some way to look at as both you know, legally and whatever else. Then we have today, and this is where I think things do get interesting, and I think you maybe agree with me, and that is the NFL sent a letter to Congress, and you can again read this over in the Athletic today, in which it. It, it, said, it said to Congress that just to be clear, whatever delay there is with documents that you may want, it's not us, it's them. That the, the NFL is saying that Washington is the one delaying documents in part because 
of this um uh crap i just forgot the name of the term the 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 the, the what's the agree the legal agreement that they were using subpoena no no, were no they the, subpoena? Uh, the, oh uh, i don't know com, the common interest agreement sorry oh okay Got the it. common interest agreement that they sent that they uh, uh that they went into now the nfl is explaining it in a legal way why they felt it needed to happen because they took over the investigation from washington uh originally the beth wilkinson investigation and this would be a way to not avoid having to restart it and start over again that said they made a point today to kind of say you know what don't don't blame us for everything that's going on here look over there and you would call it throwing under the bus or whatever you want but what is notable is the question everybody asks is what will it take to get dan snyder ousted as owner and i the answer is pretty simple when at some point will the league but more importantly the other owners decide enough is enough now roger goodell is employed by the owners he doesn't speak for them per se but it's interesting that this was a choice that the nfl made to send this letter to congress to say hey you guys are kind of kind of junking on us over here don't don't look at us for everything look over there yeah and and it's the second time in this 48 hour span where the NFL is is planning its own sort of flag in, in the sand and saying we're going to do something that's different from you know a lockstep in concert approach with 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 the team because after some you know shortly after Snyder and his cabal announced that they were going to be doing an investigation the NFL said oh no 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 we are going to do an independent investigation that that we're going to you know choose the the folks that we want doing it and we'll let you know um what we need from you in terms of coordination and, and cooperation so those two things together in this 48 hour period to me represent a pretty stark departure in at least you know attitude if if not actual approach from what felt like, you know, a, a couple of decades worth of, of, you know, coordination, corroboration and, and you know, p- potential, from my perspective, you know, corruption of, um, you know, what, what circumstances are going on with that team. You know, I, I mentioned that I, I, I spoke earlier with an interview I'll play in, in a few minutes here with uh, one of the one of the former team employees who was there for eight years and, you know, dealt with. Her, uh, her alleged harassment i say alleged that you know we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what, what what eventually everybody tells us officially but um as we were discussing it she was telling me that she wasn't surprised by the by dan snyder's actions uh yesterday other than like the timing was off because it was like right before roger goodell was going to talk but she said she wasn't surprised in part because she worked there for long enough that she would see dan snyder effectively go kind of going against logical advice offered by other people in the, in the, in the company. And it, it kind of was like, reminded me of like, you know what we, we have, the rest of us have spent 20 years watching this team from the outside. Why, why are you getting rid of Marty Schottenheimer when you, when you just closed the year, um, you know, when he eight of 11, you know, what, why are you acquiring Jeff George when you have Brad Johnson? Why are you giving Adam Archuleta this contract? Why are you drafting Dwayne Haskins? So on and so on. And I think because we didn't always know all the facts, a lot of it was always like, boy, I guess he just doesn't understand what it takes to football, right? It's just like, you know, we all have friends who just don't get it. <laughs> you know, they don't understand. Or listen it, to advice. Or, or 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 that. But when you watch this unfold in the real world, essentially, it, it does kind of be just the, the pattern just continues. of like, wow, something is incredibly off here. And unfortunately, in this sense, it's much more in, say, a, 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 forget 
the pain of your team stinking. This is a much more serious real life stuff. And it really is just shows that the pattern continues beyond the, the football decisions. Yeah. A, a dysfunctional organization from the top to the bottom. It's been that way for over two decades, a decision-making regime that always, you know, lands at the top with what feels like is um, the, the least progressive decision, the least, you know, franchise positive decision, even in the face of the, over the last 24 months, there should have been opportunities to celebrate the hiring of Ron Rivera, the hiring of Jason Wright, the changing of the name. And yet each of those things has a butt associated with it because of the continued dysfunction, the, the institutional sickness that permeates the, the, the franchise. And so we can't simply root for the team, root for the best product, you know, uh, um, cherish the product that's on the field, root for this defense to get better, root for Chase Young's knee to come back healthy, root for getting a good quarterback. No, we have to, you know, li live in decades old allegations of perverse behavior, criminal behavior, definitely civilly you know, behavior that, that carries along with it, you know, civil implications, civil liability, lots of money flying out of, of Dan Snyder's pocket to other people's pockets because of bad behavior. And, and that's the experience of being a Washington fan. And, and, you know, we are all ready for it to be over. And the question all the way up to this moment has been, what will it take? There is no bottom as long as Dan Snyder is the owner. When will the other owners, because they haven't batted an eye at the franchise um, losing fans. They haven't batted an eye at the embarrassment of the name and his uh, insistence that that um, the name, the stubbornness with the name, they haven't batted an eye at the minority owners bringing a lawsuit against him. I mean, you know, they, they didn't uh, bat an eye at the first round of allegations involving, you know, uh, misbehavior and sexual harassment. So w when is that moment? And God forbid, you know, I'm, I'm always a half glass half full kind of dummy. The last 48 hours, seeing the league kind of stake out a different potential position from from Snyder, do I do I dare root for this being the moment? Is this is the league setting a, a kind of predicate in place to move on? I I, I don't know, but um, hope springs eternal. Yeah, I mean, I I will say I didn't when, when Congress got involved, I was a little bit dismissive, like oh boy, you know, this political shenanigans. They really don't have any power, and they ultimately really don't here. They can't tell the NFL to dump dan snyder or anything um and you know it felt a little bit like eh, they're just trying to like take advantage of this opportunity to maybe get some headlines i mean it's an important topic of course but you know it felt a little opportunistic but the round table was more impactful than i thought because of the the testimony from the uh, real witnesses who had with yeah, real experiences and she had not spoken publicly before and then the congress releases some uh documents that show this agreement and now that's led to the nfl saying hold up hold up we need to have a conversation here so we'll we'll see what happens man we'll, it is it's we'll really see. like like i mean I, like other people have way tougher jobs than i do but it just like the day-to-day -day, i mean the, <laughs> i mean you kind of like when we came in here you were kind of like checking on me like how, how you doing like it yeah. is it, it is just it is relentless and yeah who knows uh who knows where this is gonna go um all right House and I are going to talk more about the Wizards, but I'm going to pause here just to just to uh, say, of course, go check out the 
uh, athletic. I'll have a new story up tomorrow, meaning Friday morning, uh, deep dive into sort of everything I've heard so far about the quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, um, Garoppolo, Mitch Trubisky. I had somebody tell me there might be a dark horse candidate out there, not necessarily saying for Washington, but just to be available. Uh, I dumped all that into one story, pack a lunch. It'll be on the athletic, I believe on fr- Friday morning, if my editor doesn't revolt against me. Um, all right. So right now I'm thinking we'll go some football first. So here's my conversation with uh, Michael Sean Dugar about the Russell Wilson sh- situation. What do we think of that? Then, um, then we'll have uh, Rachel Engelson on, Engelson on to discuss everything that's been going on with regard to the investigation and Dan Snyder and, and Roger Goodell. And then you can come back house. And I will be talking about the wizards who are all kinds of busy today. We'll get to all that in a second here on the standard room only podcast. All right. As promised to join, joining me here on the podcast to discuss uh, the Russell Wilson uh, rumors that are out there, at least they are in the DMV as well as there's, there's, a, there's apparently a big game this weekend uh, here to do that is our, Seahawks insider Michael Sean Dugar. Michael, I appreciate the time. Uh, it's the off season, so I know you know you, you're still you're still grinding away over there. But I appreciate the time to to talk about uh, a little football over here. Yeah, let's do it. So, all right, Russell Wilson. I I I, I know you're familiar with him. I know this is a topic that comes up all the time in your world. You've you've dealt with. He's an interesting guy. It's 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 uh, not just a. Uh, straight you can't just assume anything that 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 may happen out of his world and last year you had to go through a lot of conversations about what his future will be because his agent put out some sort of a list of he might go here he might go he he might be willing to go to these different places he's not looking to make a trade i guess basically it doesn't feel like the rumors are completely going away now this offseason and in these parts there are people have started to get excited about the idea of could Russell Wilson become available before we even get into the Washington aspect. Just give me your view right now as, as things stand, we're talking on February 8th. What's your sense of Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? Um, Russell Wilson's commitment to Seattle was pretty, is pretty much conditional. That's probably the best way I could uh, describe it. He does want to be in Seattle. He likes it here. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's, and when I say likes it here, it's a lot of reasons why he likes it here, you know, like aesthetically, you know, he likes the, all the, he's an investor guy, you know, he's a businessman. So there's a lot of business opportunities here. He opened a school here. He owns part of the uh, Seattle Sounders uh, FC. Um, he's part of a group trying to bring Major League Baseball to Portland, which is about mm, three hours south uh, of Seattle. So like he's, when he says he likes Seattle and, and talks and says he wants to be here, I believe him. I also believe that he'll move to the moon if he feels like a team on the moon can get him closer to a Super Bowl uh, than it would staying into in Seattle. Um, so I think that's one way to view like his comments. Cause if you see like the rumors don't match what Russ says publicly, everyone knows that he gets in front of a TV says go Hawks 12 times. And like, Oh, that's not a guy who wants to leave. And then like two days later, it'll, there'll be some national report with, with some sources uh, close to the situation, which is like a really vague situation, a really vague way of wording sourcing when you think about it. Um, but you'll you'll see something like that that says Russ wants to explore or think about leaving or would leave here or here's the teams he would go to. Um, so the rumors don't match Russ in that regard. But I think once you the way I've kind of rationalized it as someone like you said is very close um, to what's going on here uh, in Seattle with Russ and the Seahawks. When you view it like that, like Russ loves it here, but like just view it that way, it, it makes a lot of sense because he wants to win. You know, he wants to win a championship. He wants to win multiple championships. He named his son Win, you know, which 
I don't know if there's any more commitment you can have to the idea of winning than naming your firstborn biological son win, um, other than changing your own name to win. So like he's he's dedicated to that cause more than he is dedicated to any one city. Though so he would like to win here, but if he can't, like I think that's how you can kind of parse through all the rumors. Like he wants to win in Seattle, but if he can't, Russ is willing to dip. So the reason why this comes up here is Washington is one of those teams in the league right now that has no plan at quarterback currently. Wait a minute. You guys aren't all in on Heineke there? Uh, I don't believe the answer is yes. People (laughs) people like Taylor Heineke. He had, you know, they won seven games with him. He had a fine year, relatively speaking. But, yes, I think there's – Beat the Seahawks. Yeah, I I think there's a certain lack of upside there that they recognize needs to be changed. Plus – you know, when you factor in everything else that's kind of going on, going on with this franchise, they need to, to use the, the Russell Wilson's uh, son's name. They need to win. They, they need to figure out a way to get some attention here. And a quarterback upgrade is obviously one way to do that. So the question is, how do you do it? And everybody's waiting for one of these veterans, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, somebody to come free. It's been mentioned here in town by a, a local radio host. He said that he's heard from people that Russell Wilson will be open to playing for Washington. Um, I had Mike Garrett follow on my podcast in last month. And he said, he thought that Russell Wilson and Washington should be looking at each other. Should they, you know, should Russell want out to your point though, that if he wants to win, I don't know why I would think that Washington would be any different than Seattle or there would be, or that there wouldn't be other better places to go. So like when you say that he wants to win, which I get, like, what do you think that actually means for him? Does it mean here's a team that was in the playoffs already or a contender? Is it like a Tom Brady looking at Tampa thing where like they have these pieces? Like what, what do you think for him would mean winning that to somebody's view, he wouldn't rule out Washington? Yeah, that's a good question because once you look at the landscape, you, you like, dude, I mean, leaving Seattle's not, the grass is probably not going to be greener if you're just an NFL fan and you look around. I mean, you make the same argument with Aaron Rodgers. You know, he seems really pissed about being definitely, there Definitely, definitely with Rodgers, for sure. Yeah, it's like, dude, you want to, like, I think like Den- he's linked to Denver most most often because uh, they're an AFC team. They've got some pieces. Um, it's like, dude, why would you ever leave a place where you can play the Lions twice a year and, and Bears and to go play Mahomes and, and Herbert and Andy Reid and Staley? Like, that's dumb. So, like, Russ has to do that same calculus. But what I've uh, decided, unless I'm writing about it or talking about it in this setting here, I've just accepted that Russ doesn't know either. Like, I don't think he's much of a rational stinker as in regards to the landscape either. He had the bears on his list last year for what, what, what possessed Russ to narrow it down to four teams and include the bears. The other ones made sense. New Orleans, Dallas, um, even though including Dallas was stupid because they had Dak. So like that was irrational too. Uh, and the other one was uh, Vegas. New Orleans. It was Vegas. He had, uh, okay. he had Vegas on there. I think that the the draw there was playing with John Gruden, who's kind of like considered the QB whisperer guy, whatever. Um, but that one made some sense. New Orleans made sense. But it was like, the, I'm not accepting the dude who put the Bears on his list last year as someone who's looking at the landscape rationally. <laughs> and if he is, uh, if he considers that to be rational, he's tripping. Because there's the one thing you should consider if you're Russell, and I was talking to someone close to him about this as well it's like you it sounds weird but like don't just look at the roster they have now right? because chances are you want to be playing for 10 15 more years no one else will be there as long as you 
Like if you're from Russell's view, I'm mean, even coach included. Coach will probably be canned over 10, 15 years. Right. Uh, so like the he's almost he's almost to look at it like a head coach. Like, all right, what ownership am I signing up to be under? Because ownership test, uh, dictates, as Washington knows, uh, <laughs> your team can be as competent as your ownership is yep. <laughs> in a lot of ways over over extended period of time. So, like, if I was advising Russell, I would be like, that is what you should look at, you know, and there's a few ways to assess ownership, but I really don't even think he's doing it that way. I think he's, based on some of these teams that have been floated out here, the Giants, the Broncos, don't even have ownership at the moment, um, yeah, including the Bears, I just think he's, he seems more like a guy who watches the games on TV when they're on primetime. It's like, oh, that looks cool there. Like that really does seem, and then like watches sports center. It doesn't really seem like someone who's like diving into the nitty gritty of this before looking into these lists. Because if he was, he'd look around and be like, "Yeah, the NFC West is tough, but damn, man, it ain't a lot of better places than here in terms of assets and you know um, organizational structure and like kind of organizational competence. Um, a team that's aggressive, making trades to get better." Um, like that's a, a fact you have to consider as well, because you're not always going to draft well. So you got to be willing to sometimes pull a trigger on a on a Jalen Ramsey or a, or a Tunsil or a Percy Harvin or Khalil Mack. Like Seattle has a history of doing those deals that can get you over the hump like the Rams are seeing now. Um, so I, I think trying to read Russ's mind on that has been really tough because it's just none of it makes sense when you look at some of these teams that have been floated out there other than like New Orleans playing for Sean Payton. Right. Um, you said like he could maybe look at it like a coach and, and figure out what owner you're going to be in because you'll be here for like 10 plus years. He's 33, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea you think like, I'm obviously we're dealing with a world where Brady just retired at 44. You think Russ is like, cause that's part of the equation, right? If you're a team that's going to acquire him. Okay. Well, we, you know, I know last year maybe wasn't his one of his better years, but you know, he's still relatively in his prime. But how how much longer is that going to be? Do you think he actually is intent on playing for the, the another ten years? Hypothetically, yeah, oh yeah, 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 for sure. I think Russ sees a lot of nobility in that. I mean, and it makes sense because, like I said, he's someone who has cable like the rest of us. So, like, look at the guys who have played for a long time and then retire from whatever sport. Look at the farewell. Look how just revered they are. Look how we talk about a Dirk Davisky or Tim Duncan or Derek Jeter. Um, or Kobe, um, even before Kobe died, like those people for staying where they were, staying put through the good and the bad, little revisionist history on Kobe's part because he was trying to bounce. Uh, but like for the most part, all those guys I'm naming, I mean, even Tom Brady before he left, wrestling, he wants to be that. He wants that. He wants to like dominate the legacy of one franchise. So I do think he right. sees a lot of value in that. So he's not nomadic in like a LeBron or KD sense where he'll just go to wherever like he can ring ring chase. Like he's a little bit, a little bit more like I want the stability of staying somewhere for a very long time and dominating there. So that's why I think he would prioritize Seattle. Um, but he's willing to bounce, like I said. And so yeah, he, where he goes, it's not just going to be. Can, does does the division stink right now, or um, are the coaches in there all first year guys or guys on the way out, or do we have many all pros as the current roster have? How many draft picks? Um, it, it's he's. I think he's thinking big picture, but if he's not, like he should be, because yeah, he's a guy who wants to play into his forties, just like Brady. So before I get to the Seahawks perspective, let me ask you about Russell's season. Now he did have some injuries, um, but and clearly this was not their best year, and his numbers were down. He, I think, he had seven touchdowns in the last two games, but I think what he had finished with like twenty five um, overall. I know from like a fantasy perspective, Seattle's offense was problematic. 
<laughs> for, for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, what what do you think went wrong this year? Because I guess the real question is, what are whatever if a team were to acquire Russell Wilson, what are they still getting? Are they still getting a premier talent? And this year was sort of an aberration for other reasons, or is he potentially on on the the the, the uh, downside? I think he's still an elite quarterback. Um, you know, we both work with Mike Sando, who does the um, the tier one or the, the the quarterback tiers every summer, which I love because a lot of us media we debate the quarterbacks and rank them and all that from local to talk talk radio to national TV, but like what really matters when you're assessing value is what the guys who actually make the trades think, or you know the coaches who actually coach the guys think. And Sando does a does a really good. You do something similar with the agent uh, survey too. Like the movers and shakers matter than any of us. So um, I think that for that said, personally, yes, I think he's an elite talent. What went wrong this year? He broke his finger on his throwing hand, uh, <laughs> so he was out for a month. Uh, he came back too soon. I'm confident saying that he's never said it. He'll never admit it. He never admits it. I got an all 22 subscription. I can see that's Russell Wilson who came back too soon. Um, for whatever reason, he came back too soon. Um, but he came back, wasn't himself. Um, I don't think it was mental. I think it really was just physical. I mean, he was just missing throws. I mean, like the first third down on that Washington game on Monday Night Football, Gerald Everett's wide open in the flat, sells it like 10 feet over his head. You know, that's not Russell Wilson. He doesn't, he doesn't do like a, uh, he had a couple other third down throws in that specific Washington game that were just off. Like the dude's open across the sticks, just misses him. I, I think that's that, that's an outlier. Because, yeah, Russ basically missed all of October, then sucked in November. And then if you look at it, I was going to write this, but it's a little too speculative to write. Um, but the doctor told him six, eight weeks from the day of the surgery, which was uh, early October. If he'd actually sat out eight weeks, so imagine he did. Look at all the games from what would have been sitting out eight weeks, and he was fine. It's almost like very obvious. He came back way too soon. It affected his play. On top of that, the run game was bad for a little bit there. But independent of that, if you just isolate Russell's performance, like finger healed Russell Wilson is going to be fine. You know, he's still, he's not at the point where he's like elevating an entire team from being three and, you know, 14 or whatever to 14 and three. But uh, so he still needs pieces, still needs weapons, still needs O-line, running game, a competent coordinator, you know, aggressive head coach, just like all the quarterbacks do. But these, the what, Russell Wilson in 2021, um, that's going to, as history bears out, that's going to look like such an outlier season. Like he's still a very, very, very good quarterback. And every team should be trying to, every team who doesn't have a franchise guy should be trying to move mountains to get him right now. All right. So this is one of those teams, and I'm sure people here in this are going to be like, okay. Great. Sign us up. Three number ones. You want one of the defensive linemen, whatever it's going to take, which brings then to the question, why on earth would Seattle trade him? And this is the point I keep trying to make to people. It feels like now, even more than ever, we always know you need quarterbacks in this league. I think really feels like there is a, a sense around the league now that it, the gap between the haves and the have nots is even greater than it's ever been because of the, the whatever it's the rule changes that favor the offenses uh the, the, the how how strong the top quarterbacks are you don't have one you don't you got no shot so why would seattle trade one especially with a 70 year old head coach who's making the decision i presume unless ownership gets involved yeah i think to, to expand on the have and have not thing i think part of it too is you don't have stability without a quarterback because usually everyone's getting fired usually right. too so when you don't have a quarterback you like you look like the giants or the jets recently it's like you're changing head coaches you're changing ocs you're changing gms you're changing quarterbacks all because of your quarterback position stinks. Usually if your quarterback position is fine, a bunch of people aren't getting fired. 
Um, so that's part of it as well. So I think when people, I forget who reported this, maybe NFL Network, but when there was a report that says the Seahawks don't want to do something or the Seahawks want to do something or the Seahawks plan to do this, if I could ever talk to people who like report that, like in an open setting, like, all right, you said the Seahawks, specify. Because there's basically two guys running things in Seattle. Pete Carroll, the head coach, who's also like executive vice president of whatever. And then you got general manager, John Schneider, who works under Pete Carroll, um, but handles like the, the personnel side. So if you tell me the Seahawks don't want to trade Russ, are they, are, are, do John and Pete agree on that? And does Pete feel that way and John would, would move him for the right package? Or would John, does John want to keep him and Pete would move him for the right package? Um, I don't think we have really, I, I present that question, unfortunately, with not having a good answer for it. Um, at least not anything I can act, like actually report. My guess would be Pete knows good and goddamn well he's getting fired if they trade Russ. He lasts zero seasons if they trade Russ. Um, I don't really care who they get back because you will still be the guy who got rid of Russ. So it doesn't matter unless you get Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. Right, you're saying this from like this from like even like a PR perspective, let alone the wins and the losses. I don't think there's a scenario where they trade Russ and get good enough to win any more games than they've won the past five, six years. Right. They're but basically, it would, they would be effectively rebuilding in almost any yeah. realistic scenario, which, again, is to my point, look, Pete, maybe Pete Carroll wants a challenge. Maybe he's like, ah, let's see if I can do this, again, you know, turn this thing around again. But for what? Why, what, what, would be the, what would be the point for anybody involved? It's a tough division. I get that. But, like, that, it just makes no sense. And plus, here's another factor. He's under contract for two more years. So it's not even like there's a there's an issue unless Russell Wilson comes in and says with his agent, I w- you know I want you to trade me today. Other than that, it makes no sense that we're even having this conversation <laughs> in terms of being speculative that that it could be other than Russ is an interesting guy. Yeah, well, I mean, Russ has created the conversation, right? His agent gave. Think about how crazy that was last year. Like his agent gave Adam Schefter the biggest, honestly, maybe the biggest sports reporter there is in America. Um, but he's definitely the biggest one in this particular sport, gave him four teams that was like, hey, if they're trading us, here's where we want to go. Like, that's huge. They did it on the record. Like, that is – Russ created the speculation. He created the drama. Right. You know, he, he, he went on Dan Patrick and said, I'm frustrated about how often I get hit and I want more say in personnel, and doubled down on it in his Walter Payton Man of the Year interview, I think maybe like a week later. You know, he, he he did that. So it's like, it is wild to consider, but it, it leads me to believe that he wants us to be considering it. You know, if, if not, why would you even have your agent um, give those those uh, teams to, to Schefter? But I bring up how Pete would view it because another thing about Pete real quick is this year, he, he basically said the choir part out loud. I thought it was very revealing. I think they lost to New Orleans on Monday Night Football, or maybe it was when they lost to the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. But one of those weeks, he was like, look, I've been here for a very long time, since 2010. I wouldn't have been here this long if we didn't have Russell. You know, and he basically, yeah, it's the quiet part. It's like, yeah, dude, you'd have been gone if you didn't have a quarterback because everyone's gone when they don't have a quarterback for the most part. Um, and him to say that publicly, pretty much unprompted, because I can't remember what the question was. He he definitely doesn't want Russ out of here. No way, because he knows he, he he won't last. I, can, I don't. We don't speak to John Snyder, the GM, enough to say – that he feels the exact same way. I don't think he would want to get rid of him either, but I, I wouldn't rule out John being like, all right, what, what do the offers look like? You know, this is the same same guy who was going to take Mahomes if he fell to them in 2017, same guy who went to Josh Allen's pro day um, in 2018, same guy who talked to Cleveland about a trade for the number one overall pick the year that before they took, the year they were eventually took Baker. 
Uh, so, like, I won't rule out that John's probably like, I mean, we don't want to trade him, but all right, what, what's the offer look like? Um, and because that's that's speculation on my part, I feel kind of good about it. That's where teams like Washington and Carolina and Denver, whoever, should be yeah, blowing up John's phone until he blocks you and <laughs> seeing what kind of offer you can get to have him pick up the phone. Right. Well, and I guess that's the interesting thing, right? So, like, you know, when, when Ron Rivera was hired here, there was this idea of, this coach centric model and Pete Carroll was mentioned constantly. And, you know, here there really is no equivalent of John Schneider, uh, Martin May, who is the GM, but it's pretty apparent that Ron Rivera has really to say, whereas like we're with Seattle and Kansas city, it feels like these general managers are not just in the passenger seat that they're very involved and they're very, maybe even running the show to certain degrees, but to the point of saying, okay, we're going to trade Russell Wilson. If Pete Carroll is the one that makes that call, I guess he could be convinced. It would just seem like for him, as you're saying, from his end, it would be effectively saying my career as an NFL head coach in any real way is basically over. And John Schneider's a younger guy, so I get why he might be viewing it from a different way and maybe even in a proper way for the health of the franchise. But, you know, that's where it's interesting. Like if Pete Carroll really has final say, put aside ownership. I, I, I mean, I, you're the, you know, I don't, what do I know? I'm just saying from a logical standpoint of how human beings are, it's, that's where I'm like, he's not going to move this guy. Yeah. I don't think, I don't really don't think Pete would, man. That quote on the record, it was just so revealing to me because he hadn't, I should go find the question that was asked, but man, he had no reason to say that. He knows he's not stupid. He looks at right. Look how many coaches in the own division that Pete has coached against that have got fired and look at why they got fired. And the guys who are here now, I mean, if they do last, it's because they have a quarterback. Like, Sean McVay's job wasn't even in jeopardy. He was like, can't do this golf thing no more. Um, Kyle Shanahan's job wasn't even really in jeopardy. He was like, I'm done with this Jimmy G thing after, after this year. Like, he he knows. Um, I do. What's interesting about what Washington did, because I was following that when they hired Ron, is I would have cautioned them. Well, I would caution the Washington football team on a lot of things. Um, oh, wait, they're the commanders now. Yeah, uh, I probably have said football team 12 times. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm completely, it, it got me, it took me forever to get used to saying football team without thinking about it. I'm, I know I'm watching it all, all the time. I probably just did now. The, I would have advised the Washington football team or commanders, whatever, at the time to like, hey, Pete Carroll not only got personnel, he got personnel after spending like a decade in college, which is important if you're going to be deciding who a team drafts. Um, so that's like a huge, that's where I would caution some teams right now, giving like a coach who's been in the NFL for a while, all the personnel power. Cause like Pete legitimately could have argued he had a leg up coming from having recruited a lot of the guys who ended up being good in the league, whether he landed them at USC or not. Um, that's why I think Pete's a little bit of an outlier in that way. But yeah, I don't think, I don't really don't think Seattle Pete or John is that interested in trading Russ. But if I had to guess if the right team called with enough, um, enough of a strong offer that John would walk into Pete's office and like, look, man, we might be able to do this. Now Pete might block him <laughs> or kick him out uh, or make him pay for drinks for the next like 10 years. But I, I think that there's a world where John takes an offer sheet or a text message or whatever. And was like, dude, look, hold on. Team X is saying this, this, this could work. I, I, I won't rule out that scenario for this offseason, Even if I say likelihood, it is probably real low. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, for a team like Washington, that's got concerns they need a home run move this off season. And, you know, maybe it's the 11th pick in the draft. You draft a quarterback and sell hope, even if everybody's saying these quarterbacks in this draft class 
aren't that exciting enough unsophisticated fans won't notice the difference but realistically that's not going to get you a lot of wins this year one way or the other that's a that's a component too and that's where if somebody like russell wilson's available they they gotta go um kind of all in all right so just last on this one what's your i don't know if i want to ask you percentage or like what what you know one to a hundred percent one to a hundred what percentage chance do you say russell wilson's back in seattle next year Okay, back in Seattle percentage. Oh, this is this is pretty high. I, I think at this point, um, at this point, I don't see, I don't see Russ making the fuss that he made last year. Um, just again from kind of talking to the people around him, I think that that he learned a little bit of a lesson there because that Schefter thing that was huge. It was the biggest NFL story until Aaron Rodgers hijacked the storylines. So unless he makes a fuss, I don't think that they would entertain it that much because teams won't be poking around unless he makes a fuss and makes it clear um, that that's what should uh, that that he may want out I would say probably like 90 it's pretty high that he's that he's back but that's I mean that 10 percent that's not small you know like that's you know if you've ever gotten a, a check for anything and been tech taxed 10 percent you'd be like damn <laughs> where's the yeah. money so like I, I would leave that open just in case um there's a, there's a few things that could change that percentage or, or, or influence it I would say one of them would be um Russ sitting with the brain trust of John and Pete and saying hey what are we going to do to get better like what are we going what's the plan and then being like here's a plan and he's like that plan stinks so here's my four teams again you know that's totally possible now whether he tells us the four teams or goes on another media circuit tour I, I don't know about that but that, that's definitely a possible scenario where he finds out what the plan is for these guys to be a championship caliber uh, have a championship caliber roster next year and doesn't like it or doesn't believe in it or they don't even tell him the plan <laughs> you know who knows because um, quarterbacks only get so much say as he, Aaron Rodgers as great as he is is learning over there in Green Bay so um, I, I, I put it at 90 right now but there's I would not rule it out um, because of how dedicated Russ is to winning and his and how uh, aware of he is that his clock is ticking you know like you say he's 33 and he's only going to be in his prime years for so much longer. So if he doesn't like a plan, you know, he's not obligated to stick around. So because he has that no trade clause, he's the most powerful person on the roster. Um, so, yeah, he'll, I think he'll be back, but there's really no guarantee of it. All right. Well, I look, I, you, you, you left the door open enough. I'm sure Washington fans will spend uh, – there's no equivalent of the uh, – there's no NBA trade machine in the NFL world. I kind of – think that somebody's missing something here just forget matching salaries just do it for fun let people go crazy and uh, so they can screenshot the 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 three first round picks and and Duran Payne for Russell Wilson and and go nuts um lastly Super Bowl Sunday uh Rams uh, a team you know well against the Bengals who you got uh I I like the Rams um just because I think they're better in the trenches um and I that's what I default to. I mean, it's not guaranteed, um, but I mean, you just even look at last year's Super Bowl, and it's like go look at the starting Chiefs O line from the AFC Championship to the Super Bowl, and you'd be like, oh, no wonder they got smoked, right? Or whenever um, Schwartz and Fisher and they're getting hurt, just look at that roster versus the Super Bowl one. Like, yeah, that, that's that's why they got smoked. That's why you know Mahomes is running for his life, and uh, I've seen Seattle lose enough games because of Russell, their quarterback, running for their life to know that like. It's just hard to consistently win that way. Clearly, the Bengals have won enough <laughs> that way to be to be in the Super Bowl. But if you ask me who's going to win 
uh, in the biggest game, you know, when the other team has Aaron Donald, who I consider the best player in football, yeah, I, I'm I'm rolling with with that team largely because the Rams not only have a really good O line, they have a really good D line. And if you ask anybody, I mean, you talk you've talked to people around the league before, like when they you ask them how you you know build a championship team, they'll tell you get good in the trenches and have a quarterback. And the Rams right now uh, check all three of those boxes, so I like them. It's hard to argue with with with, with that. I uh, just I think I saw some stats of like Joe Burrow and like win or else games over the last you know the big games of a including college like he's something ridiculous like nine and oh or i forget what the stat was but something just outrageous oh, and and i tell you what like whatever it is if he were to win this game like he's already being viewed as you know maybe the next thing if they actually wins this game uh, the the uh, like the you know how we view right now who's running football joe burrow immediately is is arguably top of the list I mean, you know, he's right there with Mahomes at least in the, or, you know, it, it, second year. It would be insane. Um, I mean, yeah. How often have we seen somebody in year two kind of dr- steer the ship in the way that he is? I mean, I mean, I'm sure guys in year two have won a Super Bowl. Clearly, Russ did it. But like, you know, like you said, it's a little different when you're when you're like Mahomes. What was that? His second year as the starter, full time starter. That, yeah. uh, that they won the Super Bowl, like, and it was very clear that they won the Super Bowl because they had number fifteen. Right. I think, uh, like Ro- they, Roth- I think Roethlisberger then they win the Super Bowl his second year, but he was on along for the ride. He was not. Yeah. Charge. Yeah. And I would I wouldn't say Russ was along for the ride in twenty thirteen, but like that was clearly the best mm-hmm. offensive player on the team was Marshawn Lynch, and right. that, that that was very clear at the at the time. Whereas Gerald Bo- Joe Burrow is the dude, and if they win, it's because Joe Burrow plays his ass. Off. And the Legion of Boom was a real thing, and um, right know, there, there was a lot there was a lot going on. Um, yeah, I'm with you though. I, I got the Rams, but I'm going to be pulling for the Bengals just for that aspect of it. Um, it would be, it would be a lot of fun, uh, to, to see that. Um, Mike, man, I really appreciate it. Really great insight on Russell Wilson. Best of luck to you having to cover this. I hope it, I hope for your sake, it doesn't get too crazy. On the other hand, some craziness, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of good for business. So <laughs> yeah, my, my only ask to Russ's camp is man, just, just let me know when the news is coming. I don't even got to be the one to break it. Just, 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 just so I'm not at like the grocery store or out playing pickup hoops or something like that. Just, just let me know when it's coming so I can be by my laptop with Wi-Fi. That's my only ask. Got it. As long if it, it can get as crazy as it wants, just, just make sure I, you know, heads up. Cause you know, that'd be the worst thing. You'd be out with your family or something. And then boom, you get that alert that somebody then got a DUI or got traded or you got to drop everything. I hate that. So as long as they give me a heads up, it can get as crazy as it gets. I hear you, man. Uh, Mike, man, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Oh, yeah, no problem, man. All right. Uh, joining me here, as promised, she is a, uh, a former uh, Washington, well, I guess Washington Redskins team employee at the time who uh, has been one of the public faces of the allegations against this organization for uh, various forms of harassment, sexual harassment, and otherwise. And she's here to talk with me today about kind of the yesterday's surreal events that took place uh, East Coast, West Coast, what Roger Goodell had to say, what Dan Snyder and his team are trying to do. Uh, and here she is, uh, Rachel Engelson. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. Uh, but like, I don't even quite even know where to where to start because there's a lot of on the one hand, you have, have, have talked a lot already about uh, what happened to you while you were an employee with a team. You had an op-ed in the Washington Post. 
Um, you you spoke to um, Beth Wilkinson's team before you know she put out the report that we actually never saw, made the light of day. Um, and you just spoke to Congress the other day. So you you're, you you've you have talked a lot about this, uh, and, and so I still want to hear, I guess, just from you about what what it's been like to go through this. But yesterday in particular was quite the surreal day, and I'm not trying to snicker by any stretch, but it was just wild for how the day started. And I was curious from your end, the day you go to bed Tuesday night, you know Roger Goodell's going to have his press conference on Wednesday. I imagine for you, that was the focus of the day. And yet, by the time the day even got started, everything went sideways because Dan Snyder's group said they were going to uh, start in their own investigation into allegations that were made against him, which seems, of course, to be nuts that you're going to try to start an investigation to investigate allegations made against you. And the day went from there. What was it like to, to, to wake up yesterday and have all that going on? It was quite surreal, as you said. Um, I was definitely prepared to watch Goodell's press conference and see and hear which reporters would put him on the spot about the investigation, among other things that he needs to answer for. Um, but I pretty much, I'm on central time now, so I woke up to the news. Someone else had to send it to me, and I immediately had to look at my Twitter feed and see that Dan Snyder is up to his own antics again. Um, and I, I was kind of in disbelief because I was like, really, you're going down that road again? But also, I worked for the team for eight years. So I'm not actually shocked by anything that he does because you think about normal PR practices and he seems to always go against what those are. So I wasn't really surprised, but I was surprised by the timing of it because Goodell had that press conference later in the day and I didn't feel like there was enough time for Roger to react to that news and be sufficiently prepared. So I was shocked in that regard that Snyder would really do that right before a huge day of press. Like if this wasn't a normal day, this is, the day of the press conference right before the Super Bowl, the timing could not be more horrible for him to put spotlight on him yet again. So it's like this combination of feelings of not being surprised because this is what Dan Snyder does, but then also the timing is really horrible. And it just coincides to be less than a week after myself and a few others testified in front of Congress. So the feelings were very mixed in the morning once I heard the news. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And, you know, like, obviously I cover the team and like you, I grew up in this area. This was the team of my, of my youth. And, you know, it is, I don't, I don't know if I want to say it's a thrill to be covering the team, but it is surreal to be doing it because this, again, I'd be John Riggins and all those players. It's, you know, wild. The kid who was rooting for this team is, is now covering this team. And then you, this is partly kind of what your story is. You also grew up in this area. I know I, I read that like there's pictures of you, your parents dressed you up in burgundy and gold uh, outfits and, you know, to, to, to be able to start to work for the team first as an intern in 2010, then as a full-time employee in 2011 for eight years, it began as a dream turned into obviously very uh, something very different um, about that. And so it is, it is just bonkers that like, <laughs> that like, this is like what, like, this is the conversation we're having about this team. That's not about anything remotely fun. It's all about, 
all this negative stuff and just how much of it is constantly centered on seemingly choices and actions made, if not by ownership, by people who are under ownership, who seemingly were allowed to do this because of, I guess, the culture um, that, that, that was, that was there. Um, what, uh, uh, what is it um, from that perspective? Like, I know you've talked about this a little bit before, but like, I guess, can you talk a little bit about your, your, your background and the fact that you were this fan and then to, I mean, this would be terrible for anybody, but the fact that you went through this with the level of excitement of, wow, I get to do this thing for this team that I love. And then for what happened to you to, to happen. Yes. So like you said, I grew up in the area. I grew up in Southern Maryland and my entire family rooted for the former Redskins. Now, Washington commanders and still getting used to not saying Washington football team. So apologies if I do reference them as that. Um, But I grew up a fan of the team and it was a dream job. I wanted to work for one of the teams in the area. And for me, that would have been the Redskins, the Caps, the Nats, the O's, like you name it, the Wizards. I wanted to work for any of them. Um, So Going in as an intern, it's actually kind of interesting because um, my internship was very eye-opening actually to the culture and what I would be um, doing as a full-time employee. Um, I actually will never forget one of my, during my internship, I had a season ticket holder tell me that I should be ashamed of myself for working for the team because I was working for Dan. And that was when I was, I think, 20 years old as an intern. And that was before I took the full-time job. And I just thought, oh, nothing of it. Like, this is just someone who's unhappy for they had a bad game day experience, whatever. But little did I know that that would maybe foreshadow my time as a full-time employee. And so it is really disheartening because it's not just the culture that Dan created and kind of implemented and fostered as the owner it's not just about women it's about the men too there are so many people who working for that team was their dream job men and women and when you left the team you lost your fandom and you lost your love for the team because you went through these extremely horrible experiences whether it was sexual harassment and assault verbal abuse bullying there was just this toxic culture of competition unnecessarily in the entire organization. And it was led kind of like a frat party. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of, I mean, that goes, I feel like the ter- with the territory of working for a sports franchise, but it really was like a frat party, partying all the time. The executives would go on the owner's yacht to make budgetary decisions to party. And that's how decisions were made. There was just a lot of impractical decision-making that led to that culture there. And it, it was, it was hard working there. It really was. Um, and you kind of clung to these really great moments and that's what stuck, like stuck with you and kept you there of a, this is my dream job. B like, I'm just like an athlete. I want to get my Super Bowl ring. So maybe I'm going to put up with some more stuff that I want to get my Super Bowl ring. That's why I'm working for the team. And see, it's like the camaraderie you build with your colleagues, there's nothing else like it. And so you put up with some of these things and you're like, oh, well, 
you kind of minimize your own experience. You're like, oh, it's not that bad, even though it is. And once you remove yourself from the situation, you're like, wow, that was actually horrible. I can't believe that I worked there for that long. Right. And as I said, you started as an intern in 2010, full-time the next year, and then worked there for eight years. And just for some context, we don't have to get it in too much if, 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 at all, but like you worked in the media department. So effectively under Larry Michael, the former voice of the team. I actually did not work for Larry. I worked, um, for my boss at the time was Jason Friedman. I worked in the premium sales and marketing department. So oh, okay. I had direct contact with Larry because part of my job was planning events for season ticket holders. So I had to plan these monthly events and Larry more often than not was the MC of the event because he was gotcha. the voice of the team. So I had to have him at pretty much all of my events to be kind of the face and the voice of the event. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so to, to obviously this has now been going on for some time. It was the summer of 2020 when the Washington post articles first came out um the uh there were three larry michael and two other uh, two people on the uh front office side were fired just before that and then the washington post story came out and it's been it's been a constant conversation uh for some time of course the wilkinson report didn't come out but it was the conclusion essentially was was last summer as well obviously we would know we now know the nfl did not um, have a written report made. It was not the, the findings were not announced publicly. Dan Snyder was fined ten million dollars and has um, voluntarily, I guess, stepped away to to a certain degree on day to day operations. Although I'd like more clarification on what that means at this point. Um, he's having conversations with Ron Rivera about something. So you know what what is going on, and he's front and center, obviously, at the various name change events and and things um, along those lines. But it took another step the other day, last week at Congress um the, the day after the name change um to the point that all of this is happening to you what was it like to actually have to go in front of congress it was and tell the world again but do it in such a esteemed place your your story and how did you think that whole that whole process went yeah so um speaking in front of congress is probably one of the most intimidating experiences i've ever had um I was, I would say I was mentally prepared for it because I knew like what the setup would be. I was prepared with my statement. I wrote it, I wrote it. So I was comfortable in what I was saying. Um, I knew kind of going into it, what types of questions I would be asked. I knew that there would be some dissent among the representatives there, that there would be some people who weren't really on board with us being there. So I was pretty well prepared for what it would be, but it's not really until you step into that room and start to be asked questions and have to say this again in front of people live um, that the intimidation factor really creeped in and um, it was extremely difficult. I, when Melanie, who was the first one to give her opening statement, started talking about her experience, I had to um, hold my tears back because I knew I had three more people I had to listen to before I gave my own statement. And so having to hear those stories that were so similar to mine and then relive theirs and then mine was really difficult. And um, I just think that 
I only did it because it felt like it was a last resort. And I had been telling my story for a year and a half prior to that. And speaking with someone on a podcast or on a video chat or what have you, it's a bit different than being in front of a group of like 20 people and having to be extremely vulnerable and tell them these details about yourself that they really shouldn't know. And then you know that there's, I don't know how many people watched the live stream or watched the clips, but I would say like maybe thousands of people listening just from how um, I saw the Twitter reactions. So there's this more massive audience listening live and to put yourself out there, it's uncomfortable. It's extremely uncomfortable to have to relive it, to maybe have to name your harassers and know that you're going to be asked all these questions. People are going to be looking into you. They're probably going to be looking you up on social media and seeing what you're about. And then not even to get into, you feel like you have to be a perfect victim. Like you feel like you have to never have done anything wrong in your life for this to like, for this scrutiny to be on you. You know, people are going to come out and look into your past and look into what you've posted and be like, is this person perfect? Because if not, they did X, Y, and Z, and we're going to pull this out and see, oh, well, they deserve this because you did X, you know, a long time ago. So you open yourself up to the scrutiny of what are people going to look at and blame me for? And that's kind of what certain members of the Republican Party did while we were on site is they victim blamed a little bit and that was extremely difficult to witness firsthand um, and be told not even really to, they didn't allow us to respond some of them some of them took their three minutes and they went on there they had their speech planned and they didn't even ask us any questions and give us a chance to respond and then in such a formal setting we can't interrupt like as someone who's a witness there you you can't really be like hey no don't you can't say that i'm gonna rebut that claim like no because we had to just listen and that's not how the forum was but it was it was intimidating i'm glad i did it i feel like it's just another another step in the process and progress of where this can go and change on a more national level yeah, um, it was it was again uh, surreal to watch. Um, I've watched congressional testimony before, but I not that I know you, but I feel like I know you all because we've now been you guys have been in our lives for for some time, and obviously you know covering this team and being interested in what's happening, you're paying attention. So it was to, it was to, to see people that we essentially know have to go do that and experience that. It was it, it seemed tough, and then. As you said, with the lawmaker, some of them, the way they were discussing it, um, only uh, added uh, to that. Now, part of the reason why yesterday's events, meaning Wednesday's events, unfolded in terms of the Dan Snyder part is because of what was said there at Congress. As you mentioned, you have shared your story many times. Tiffany Johnston, another former team employee, had not, and she made um, allegations that Dan Snyder um, reached under, I believe, under a table, put his hand on her thigh, and later tried to press her into his limousine don't need to talk about that but I guess to that end that she had not spoken to uh Beth Wilkinson apparently had not shared her story before so this was all all new to that end I guess what did you kind of make of the reaction to some of these new developments and 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 you know the fact that some 
I guess also is it, we'll start with that. What, what did you kind of make of just sort of that aspect of it? And then which led to, again, what happened yesterday? Well, I 100% believe Tiffany. And I think what some people don't understand who haven't been following this very closely is that the Wilkinson investigation, yes, people were contacted, but there was a certain level of intimidation by Dan Snyder to get people to not participate in said investigation. So for someone like Tiffany, going in front of Congress would be the most legitimate way to say your story because the way the Wilkinson investigation ran, we know that private investigators went to people's homes of people who spoke publicly. Um, and so I think it was very powerful of her in that moment to say, this happened to me, I'm going to say this publicly. And then not only that, there was another former colleague of hers and mine who wrote a letter and backed up her claim. And so I think one of my reactions from Dan Snyder and his team of lawyers is they kept saying, you know, she's not, she wasn't under oath. And the investigation, Beth Wilkinson didn't ask me to go under oath. Like, why would you go in public and put your face out there and know that there's severe risk to you and your family and put, you know, put this story out there and not be in, in front of Congress, no less, and not be telling the truth. So I think Dan kind of came out and immediately tried to, you know, say she was lying because she wasn't under oath. And that's why he needed to get to the bottom of the allegations into himself. So I believe Tiffany and um, I hope everyone else does too. And I think that Dan Snyder is just trying to maybe intimidate her again into not speaking. Uh, so following her um comments the questions were okay will there be a new investigation and the nfl i think had already at that point said that they would certainly or that they, they would plan to look into it but then as we said dan snyder and his group say well no don't worry we got this we're going to do our own investigation into the allegations against him the nfl then came out yesterday and said uh no that's not an appropriate we'll we'll deal with that that was both a, a spokesman and then roger goodell said that said much said that as well okay that's fine but the rest of it, what you were originally waking up, you thought to hear Roger Goodell speaking on, on uh, uh, about these various things, including what is he going to do looking into what uh, Tiffany had to say. The fact that Congress, the day after you guys spoke, uh, released some, some information that indicated that the league and Snyder had um, agreed to a common interest agreement with effectively, I'm no lawyer, but effectively they're allowed to share some information with each other. but both sides have to agree before releasing anything public, which could effectively mean Dan Snyder has veto power over the release of any information. And again, the Wilkinson report was not released in full. Um, from that aspect or really anything else that he had to say on that, did you feel like you got something out of the commissioner? No, um, I think in both regards with Dan trying to hire an investigator into himself and then Goodell saying they'll take over the investigation or do another independent investigation is both parties trying to control the narrative. I don't think that they're really trying to uncover the truth because if they were interested in the truth, why not have Wilkinson do this part of the investigation? Her and her team have been the closest to the investigation and everything that's been happening over the last year and a half 
why hire someone completely new to come into an investigation? And also why not release that information? Now we know, of course, there's that common interest agreement. So they're both, again, going to only be in the best interest of themselves, not of the actual story and those of us who came forward. So I think that separately from each other, Goodell is trying to, you know, backtrack with Dan because he came out and maybe that wasn't sanctioned or approved by the league. And now Goodell is trying to save face being like, wait, we're taking this seriously. Except if they were taking it seriously, they would have released the information from the Wilkinson report and they would have just let Wilkinson continue on this investigation. Um, yeah, for, 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 for sure. Um, so we obviously I mentioned that Tiffany Johnson spoke. This was the first time she had shared her story publicly. Uh, you know, there are, I know Lisa Banks, one of the, one of the attorneys that represents you. Every time we receive a statement, it says that she and her group represent over 40 former employees, um, here. And I don't know how many more there are. How, if Tiffany Johnson is somebody that's new, do you think there are other people? Do you get a sense who are getting closer to come out and willing to share their stories? I know 100% there are when there are other people because I have friends who will not come public and say things that have happened to them because of how the investigation was handled at the outset and at the end. So there are more people who have not talked because they, one, there was a huge conflict of interest at the beginning. Dan, this is exactly how it happened last time. Dan hired a team, then the NFL took it over. So we're now in this, it's like, I think my colleague uh, Megan said it earlier. She was like, I'm having deja vu because this is exactly what happened last time. Dan hired a lawyer and said he was going to do this investigation. The NFL took it over. And so immediately there's a conflict of interest. And so immediately when this first uh, started two years ago, I know people who didn't want to participate. And then on top of that, there was the intimidation factor of the private investigators, Dan Snyder going after former employees, pursuing them for defamation. So there's all of these factors that contributed to many, many employees not participating in the investigation. So I'm very confident that there are others who um, have not come forward to tell their stories, but they will not because of how everything has been handled. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that everybody's gone through this. It's unfortunate that if they don't feel comfortable to share their story, but I, I understand um, that. L -l Lastly here, I was looking through your statement that you made to, to Congress in this one part, just, I just wanted to read back. Uh, quote, it is my sincere hope that Congress will hold the Washington football team and the NFL accountable for creating and maintaining a toxic workplace culture for so long and for bearing the results of the 10 month investigation that would reveal exactly what happened and who was responsible. Um, at this point, look, I don't know exactly what Congress can do other than just to continue to shine a light on it. I don't know exactly what powers they have, but obviously the NFL does have some powers. Roger Goodell was even asked yesterday if, or what, 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 what's the mechanisms to put to pension potentially remove an owner and talk about a vote of owners and things like that. At, at, at this point, when you either for yourself or when you're talking with your attorney or you're talking with your, uh, uh, with the others who, who are going through this, what do you see as being something that would be held accountable? What does that, what does that look like for everybody here at this point? Um, now that you've gone, to, gone through this for over a year. Well, 
For me, accountability also means transparency. So I would like to see the Wilkinson report because we're not really even sure the thoroughness of the investigation, how many employees were interviewed, from what periods of time they were interviewed, what were the ramifications, who were the parties that were responsible, what procedures and policies they've put into place, not only at the Washington football team, but at the league level, level to make sure that this never happens again, what resources are available to NFL employees nationwide. I think there's so many questions still on practices and policies that the NFL has not addressed that they said, oh, the Washington football team has already started to address this since the investigation began. But what were those? What were those policies? How are the current employees protected? Do they have a hotline like was mentioned in the 2018 investigation, the Carolina Panthers? There's these things that are missing that should be commonplace that doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't say, yes, we do X, Y, and Z now. Employees have an anonymous hotline that they can report to. And I think true accountability means that Dan Snyder does not own the Washington football team anymore. He does not deserve to be an owner. He fostered this toxic culture and he created it. So he should be responsible for it. And I think that it has been shown over the last two years and over his 20 year tenure of the team that he is not fit to be an owner. And he is causing more problems for the league than he is doing good for the league. So at this point, I don't really understand why the other owners would want him to be a part of their group at, at this time. Uh, Rachel Engelson, I really appreciate the time. I appreciate you sharing your, your stories. And, and I know some of that was not probably not fun to, 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 to rehash, but I really appreciate it. I, I think obviously everybody's um, interested in where this is going. And um, I really, again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I mean, like I didn't have enough to discuss. We had plenty on this podcast and I knew that the trade deadline was coming and I was anticipating discussing it, but I kind of was like, all right, the Wizards. I mean, like the, you know, a couple of years ago, similar situation, John Wall suffers uh, a season ending injury. They easily should have thrown in the towel, but Ted Leontis has said he's never going to tank. So they didn't, they kept Jeff Green, they kept Trevor Reza, and they've just been basically, you know, that was a lost opportunity to do to do something, and it's been that way forever. So we get to today's trade deadline house, and I'm kind of like, look, they logically should dump a lot of stuff and and tank and move move in that direction. You got Bradley Beal, you hope you're going to pay him for it. We were getting close to the end of today's deadline. I was like, yeah, I guess they're not going to do anything. And then right a tat tat, they make a bunch of moves. I still haven't really processed. We're going to do that right now. Process for at least for me, process what actually happened. But give me your big takeaway from from today's events. Uh, we we'll go through all the moves as 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 we go here. But what was your big takeaway from the Wizards making a bunch of moves? Well, it's been such a roller coaster of emotions this entire season, Ben. Because you know, I I came on um, in in the fall when the team um, really got going with with West Onsell Jr as the head coach, all the moves that Tommy Shepard made that felt really great. And the team got off to that incredibly hot start and then, you know, has really fallen off a cliff and we've had, um, you know, mixed experience, Brad Beal, one of his worst professional seasons um, since his, his early rookie days. And, you know, I, I um, 
actually harbored some hope that the Wizards would seriously investigate a Ben Simmons for Russell uh, for for Bradley Beal trade, um, and you know talked about that a little bit with some of my colleagues at the ringer and those folks um, picked up on it some and made some really compelling cases as to why that might be Bradley Beal might be a good candidate for a deal with Philly um, for, for, for Ben Simmons. And then, um, you know, Beal was out in, in the week leading up to the trade deadline with a wrist injury that I honestly thought was a serious acute case of trade block itis which is to say they were looking at what opportunities were out there. And then the news came down Monday that he was going to go get surgery and his season is over. Well, he's Thereby, really committed to that bit. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So I, I was really despondent because looking into next season with the roster as configured, you know, just 24 hours ago and with the challenges that Wes Unsell Jr. has in front of him, and with, you know, the, the complete um, unknowable uh, outcome with Beal in, in terms of extending him. And if they do extend him, um, who is the team around him? What are the right parts? Is Wes Unsell Jr. the right guy for the job of figuring out these rotations? Um, can, can there be harmony amongst these disparate guys from all over the country brought to under this umbrella? I just did not feel good about where what the Wizards' fortunes were going to look like through the balance of the season into the summer. Oh, they! I mean, uh, I mean, just to be clear, I told this to other people. I, I, anybody who thinks what was going on the last month or two here is comparable to what was happening the last couple of years when they were just losing a lot of games. No, there's way more negative going on here. There's a tension in the air. It was obvious by their body language, by the results, by the quotes being said after the game by everybody: Dinwiddie, Beal, Kuzma. Harold, uh, clearly something is going on. We'll see if this is all <clears throat> resolves that or not, but something was off. They needed to do something. And then the question was, you know, to, to what would they do? And, and I'm glad you, you made that point because there, there is, there was a, 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 a very different character to, um, you know, the, these, these losses and guys sort of saying out loud, it doesn't feel like everybody's on the same page here and guys out loud saying, it feels like some guys are thinking about, you know, their own contract situation and that th those kinds of observations and comments, guys saying out loud, that doesn't feel like there's an effort commitment across the board every night here. When you hear the, t the team, guys on the team making that observation out in into the air, speaking it into existence that way, that that is part of why I, I was uh, especially just, you know, upset. I felt I felt like I'd been cheated on because I'd had we, we'd had such a uh, we saw the promise of, of what this team with the NBA depth that it that it has um, holds. And, and then, you know, we had a series of, of covid that took players out at different points in time. Both Rui and Thomas Bryant came back from injury and Wes Unsell Jr.'s had a hard time integrating them in, finding minutes for everybody, keeping everybody happy. And so everybody was unhappy now. One of the things for sure that seems, and then we'll see what the stories um, that come out in the next 48 hours, 72 hours say, it seems like Spencer Dinwiddie was not the most popular player uh, amongst his teammates. Felt like he, he um, maybe, and, and it was, he wasn't here for very long. So something about his approach, um, his stewardship, his play on the court was rubbing people the wrong way. 
he was and and it, it is uh disappointing because when he arrived it looked to me like he could be um something that the team needed which is a uh an orchestrator a guy especially in the fourth quarter that was going to put brad beal in position um to be comfortable and and you know let brad do brad things but you need somebody to set that up and didn't what he seemed like he could be that guy um but that all changed um pretty quickly and one thing that i especially did not like as the season was progressing Brad Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie could not play together on the court at the same time because they cannot defend anybody. Not I, early in the season, it looked like they couldn't defend other athletic guards, like um, your Lamelo Ball kind, kinds of guards. As the season went on, they they couldn't guard any. I mean, uh, um, Garland and Cleveland, you know, went off against them. Those two guys on the court, and I don't have the advanced analytics in front of me. It just felt like an untenable situation and yet we kept seeing them out there and i don't know why uh wuj kept kept rolling them out um i don't know anything about the, the team dynamic i'm just a guy watching the games but um, so, dinwiddie felt like an eligible candidate so the good so the, so with that said dinwiddie doesn't live here anymore i like i didn't necessarily know that it would be conceivable that the wizards could move Dinwiddie's contract, let alone Davis Bertans' contract in the same deal, in order for that to happen, similar to when the John Wall Russell Westbrook deal has, you basically are going to have to take on somebody else's what they deem as a bad contract, and you can say that that's what happened here, but you can also say that look, Kristaps Porzingis is a big tease who gets injured a lot. He's also a 26-year-old who gets 20 points a game. (laughs) You know, 55 games out of him a year is still probably better than anything you would get out of Bertans over the course of the year, who is beyond one dimensional. I mean, that's just all he, you know, he can make a three and even that he hasn't been that good this year. And Dinwiddie, like you said, it was a net negative across the board. So forget this year, Porzingis is dealing with a knee injury. He's missed like, I think like 21 games already. If I were the wizard, I'd say, go, go, go enjoy yourself in Latvia for the rest of the year. We'll see you after we tank this baby away and get, get a lottery pick and and go from there if i want to go from the positive end look he's a pretty good player he's got you know he, he's you know what seven two seven three i don't i don't know how it's going to work with him and kuzma and gafford and Rui as a front court but he's a he's a talent he makes a ton of money that's why dallas wanted to get rid of him he was not a great fit with luka Doncic on the court he clogged up their cap space um and, and so on and so on so it's a little bit of kicking you know just moving the deck chairs around but at the same point he's the best player of the three he has one year less he has less years on his deal than Bertans does so all in all injury worries aside I'm pretty good with that deal oh I I, the fact that the Wizards did not have to include a um a draft pick yeah no they didn't didn't have to Jared Allen this thing it's really surprised. I'm kind of stunned. We, we got back a second round pick. What is, why, how do we get to pick it? Like, has anybody watched Davis Bertans? Like there, there must be something about, you know, the, the deepest analytics, the, the, those, the, the folks that, that run those, those computer models with Bertans. I, I don't think he can play in the NBA. He can't guard anybody. There's not one player in the entire NBA that I think you can put Davis Bertans on and he's too slow to play zone. He's one of the worst defending uh, at, at his size and his position. He, he, he his defensive rebounding is, a, is atrocious. So I, I don't like, 
just the sheer fact of moving him, right? It, it, it all by itself is a, is a, an addition by a subtraction. And then Dinwiddie, that chemistry experiment didn't work. And I, I was certain that we were going to get stuck. I mean, we kind of overpaid. We went into what felt like a tiny bit of a bidding war over the summer to land him. Um, and, you know, it didn't feel like we were going to get the wizards were going to get full value for what they paid him because the chemistry gamble um, failed. And, you know, where, where I am once again, and, and I, you know, we were, I'm happy to be at this place again. Great job, Tommy Shepard, right? There is something about like the, him just cutting bait halfway into the first season of the Dinwiddie contract is laudable. That's impressive to me, right? They saw enough out of Dinwiddie to know that he and Beal weren't going to work. They must still harbor some uh, uh, thoughts around what the extension with Beal is going to consist of. But ultimately, your point is the right point, which is they need to just build for next year. I, I don't I guess they could try and make a run for like the, the 10 spot um, and get into this play in playoff situation. But, you know, there's no point whatsoever in, in bringing Porzingis. If they manage to get um, competitive because um, Beal's out, because Dinwiddie's gone, because Trez is gone, and those minutes open up for Rui and Thomas Bryant and Denny, uh, and those guys are all on the floor, and we see some chemistry that we're not expecting. Corey Kispert gets up a whole bunch of run. Maybe those guys go out and go on a little mini tear. I don't expect it, but who, who knows? Um, if that's how they slide into the potential 10 spot, fine. But really, the point is, let these young guys, it's still a super young team, let these young guys go ahead and build some chemistry. And, you know, we, we they're, they're all um, decent assets, still a lot of NBA depth uh, on this team. Yeah, um, for, for sure. So let's just swing through some of the other quick stuff here. So uh, they also traded Aaron Holiday to Phoenix for cash, moved on from that. They traded Montrez Harrell to Charlotte for Ish Smith is back in town. Like, they I mean, love Ish. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, not only is Ish Smith a fun backup point guard, I bet from a chemistry perspective, that guy will help out a bunch. No um, doubt. And then they also added, oh, crap, I'm already busy. Uh, the, Vernon Carey. Vernon Carey, from a kid from Duke. 20-year-old, yep. hasn't played much in the league. You know, lottery ticket. We'll see, see, what, see what he is. Um, so I, I don't even know where to go. Uh, you mentioned Tommy Shepard. Let, let, let's go there. He has been tremendous with trades. Like you mentioned, it isn't just like he's constantly been able to take a little thing and turn it into a bigger thing. See where the opportunities are. You know, the Bertans thing ended poorly, but just getting him for basically nothing was a a, a, a big coup. The rest of yeah. it was, was, was not so great. Um, and that's right. kind of how it is on a lot of these things. Like Ernie Grunfeld was good at times at uh, getting out of a, of a bad situation and coming up with a good trade, but he got himself into that situation. And a little bit, I think though here, I think it needs to be noted because as you said, Spencer Dinwiddie, they just signed him. Now it is laudable. As you pointed out, you said, this isn't working. I'm not going to let pride get in my way. We're going to dump him and move on. And I would imagine Bradley Beal was fine with that. Um, but at the same time, they did sign him to the deal. And that led to, you know, it was clearly a miss, a misjudgment on their part on every, on every level. Um, there Aaron Holiday right so when they made the Lakers trade the, the with with for Westbrook great trade you know even moving on a couple guys you still have Kuzma it's a good good deal 
they got a first round pick though, the 22nd pick, and they traded down in the draft to the 31st pick, the first pick in the second round to get Isaiah Todd. Um, and they got Aaron holiday who they just gave away for cash. If they had stayed at 22, you don't know what they would have done, but you look at some of the names that were right there, right after they picked pretty, some guys who are doing, uh, some pretty good things right now. So that's a loss, right? I mean, you, uh, the Westbrook trade is an absolute win, but you got to look at all these things. They had all this stuff. How do you maximize it? They just gave away Montrez Harrell, who in the first half of the year was arguably their best player, right? And I, was get- t- I, I, I think there's – I'm going to say this politely because I'm a Trez fan, having seen him up close and personal and seeing his motor. There's something wrong with that dude. The fight that he got into with Embiid and then the fight – who did he get in a fight with? Was it KCP? Yeah. Is there something off and I don't know uh, exactly what it is. And maybe it's like, he can't get out of his own way kind of thing that motor that, that drives him to be, you know, relentless uh, on the offensive end um, is, is also something that, that works to his detriment. I, I'm not sure he he's a guy that, that plays way above his size. And it, again, very, very uh, impressive and, and what he brought to the table energy wise it was really infectious at the first part of the season but there he he um it strikes me as a guy that might have been when we were hearing some of the rumblings over the last three weeks a guy that was complaining about not getting enough minutes was complaining about his role um and maybe not a a team first kind of fella in the circumstances here a guy that wanted to rehab his reputation after lebron buried him I mean, he's just two two years out from being sixth man of the year for Christ's sakes, and he came here and was like six, nearly seventy percent, um, you know, uh, effective field goal percentage through the first half of the season. Incredibly effective uh, scorer around the basket, but something about him, um, you know, chemistry wise, seemed to be a little bit off. And, and I, I'll say this before: I, I can't remember. I, I lose track of who I talked to if I was on the radio or this podcast or my cat. I don't know. But like I made the point somewhere that like the other night I went, I went to the Miami game was the first game I've been to this year. And I wanted just to sort of get a feel for the vibe myself. And Miami is known for having heat culture right now. It's, it's can't replicate that easily because you have Pat Riley, an all time legend, and he's going to, he's going to bring that, but you understand what that means when you're a new player and you show up in that organization, expectations are this, there's no getting out of line. Here's what we do. Here's how the hierarchy is. Here's whatever your expectations are, and you go from there. The Wizards have had no culture for a long time. I'm not talking about like where it's culture we're talking about with the with Washington Commanders. I'm talking about it from just the basketball perspective. There is no sense, and part of that is that the ownership has bowed down to the players for years because the ownership is so desperate to get anybody to show up here. And like uh, you know, the, I say all the time, Ted Leonsis is trying to be the eighth seed, not win the title. The moves of that they make are are are, are, are of that nature. Um, and so when you do that, you end up like, you know, rolling out the red carpet for John Wall and you end up doing things like probably giving Bradley Beal the highest contract in NBA history. I Bradley Beal is a really good player. I've advocated for him a lot. Not worth that. And the point though, is that there is no great culture here. So when you bring in alphas like Spencer Dinwiddie and Montrez Harrell to this environment, Kyle Kuzma as well to this environment, you're not, there's and and you have a brand new first year head coach to boot. You have no structure here for these guys. And I think that was part of what unfolded here. And maybe to your point of Montrez Harrell, maybe that's just not the best situation for that guy. I don't know the whole, all the details, what's going on. Clearly he's an energetic uh, guy 
Uh, so, you know, yeah. maybe he just needs to re- rein it in still, but yeah, something certainly was off. And, and, um, I think if you look at his Instagram post, he had a post right before the deadline, before he got traded that maybe suggests he wasn't thrilled with how things were going here either. So, um, he, <laughs> well, so m- mutually agreeable, mutually agreeable that, 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 that they go. So in any event, like I said, I give Tommy Shepard credit for some aspects of this, but at the same point, you know, his, who, he's responsible for the moves that were made and, a lot of these things that he had to get out of did a reasonable job. It appears at least on the Dinwiddie front. And he also signed Bertans to that extension um, got out of that too for Porzingis. So, all right. I, I don't know about you. I don't care about the rest of this season, meaning they better no. not try to make the playoffs. We need a lottery pick, right? They, like they need to go down that way. I mean, Beal's out making the playoffs, even if they, you know, you know, underdog it all the way up to the eight seed. To what you're going? I mean, you weren't going to go right. anywhere probably with Beal, but now you have no chance um, with this. Okay. It's oh, it's just fun. It could be fun, right? Like we have an underdog young team that goes on a little bit of a run, and you know that that would be a fun thing. That's that would all. happen. We we get we, we did that last year. I mean, we did do that team. last year. At some you're point, right. you have to no more fun. The fun okay. starts when you win, and you're not going to win yeah. without getting better players. All right. That all that said, here's what the team looks like now. I don't have this in front of me, so. Hopefully I'm not forgetting anything. Let's start with the backcourt. This is a little bit easier. The backcourt going forward is Bradley Beal and I have no idea. It, they they have no point guard who on the team I believe who is under contract for next year. Uh, Ish Smith has a two year deal, but the second year is not guaranteed. So let's just assume he's not back. So they either have to go out and get a veteran or draft somebody or whatever. But it, the backcourt is essentially Bradley Beal and nobody i mean if you want to say Corey kispert fine but like that uh, i mean that's neto it. i guess right but he, they, i assume he they only did a one-year deal i assume that was i think so yeah um and he, either way obviously you know right. Neto is a fine player i have no problem yep. when he plays but you know th- yep. that's not a thing so the backcourt is light to say the least except you have bradley beal who of course we don't even know if he's officially coming back but we'll just if he doesn't come back We'll have to have a we'll, everybody. Everybody in Wizards Land will be drinking for days that you lost that guy for nothing. Now, we could put KCP in the backcourt if you you want to think about him, you know, in that shooting guard kind of capacity. Even though sure. it's kind of a redundancy, I was kind of a little surprised they didn't move him. But I guess that if you're trying, I mean, he's under contract for next year, and if you're still trying this year in in theory, which I assume they are, I get it. But like, well, I, to I your imagine- point of of culture, he strikes me as among the most sort of professional. Just his demeanor and what impact he seems to have on the guys around him that are both on the court and, and on the bench. Um, KCP has really impressed me as potentially an adult in the room. Again, I'm not in the locker room, so I have no idea, but I'm just talking about uh, observing him. Um, he, he acts like a veteran. Yeah, for, for sure. The front court is where there's more bodies right now. And I, it'll be really interesting to see. Like, I know there's this notion that Daryl, people talk about Daryl Morey, just acquire the players and you'll figure out the rest. I don't always believe in that, though, because at some point the players need to fit, right? I didn't have a problem when they made the Westbrook trade. If you get back anybody you can get and you figure out from there. But, okay, here's where they're at now. If I had to guess a starting lineup, I guess it would be Kristaps Porzingis at the four, Gafford at the five, Kuzma at the three. I don't really know that that is a viable threesome i mean kuzma's not really a three um you know i mean i guess gafford can chase around some fours on the perimeter and you have porzingis maybe deal inside but uh, you know what that the, either way that's their what i would say is their lineup then you still have rui hachimura you still have denny avdia uh and thomas, thomas bryant well he's a free agent after he's yeah all oh, right so presumably 
he won't be back. So that's and then you have Kisper, you know, and, and KCP if you you know at the three if you want them. So that's what they're look, looking at. What does that do for you? Um, I actually um, don't mind that the versatility of it. Everything depends on. <laughs> we were saying this in the off season coming in here, like growth. You know what what now Denny has gotten a ton of run. He he's a guy that was a beneficiary of Rui and Thomas Bryant being out in the first part of the season. And Wes Unsell Jr. experimented quite a bit because it's apparent that the team believes in um, the, the premise that led to them drafting him in that ninth spot um, two years ago. And they knew that they did not get a fair view, uh, a fair assessment of what Denny might bring to the table with Scotty Brooks's last year. So, and, and with Russell Westbrook here, we were, we, we, Denny was buried. So we saw a ton of Denny. And, you know, there is a lot to like. He definitely has a good defensive motor, good defensive instincts. He complains too much when he when he commits fouls. Um, I think that might be a holdover of the league that he was playing in before uh, arriving here. He will learn. And I think the referees are telling him to tone it down a bit. Um, but uh, the same is true of Rui, right? Like we were saying in the offseason, what are we going to get out of Rui? up in, in this upcoming season whenever he comes back now his arrival was greatly delayed um and i haven't heard the full explanation but it seemed to do with him getting his own sort of mental um self settled um but he he's he's back and he he's a guy that reminds you in in glimpses he's got some talent i mean he's he's, he's really versatile between the three and the four he's versatile defensively and this the the, the guy that's been a revelation to me this entire season has been coos i i don't think i i appreciated what how good a rebounder he is he he is ferocious on the boards and that's that's a matter of will that's that's him wanting to go mix it up on the offensive side and on the defensive side and also so it, like his ability at the end of the game i mean it's it's one thing to obviously yeah take the shots you got to make the shots but the, the willingness to take them you know with the ben simmons of it all and he doesn't want it to shoot anything could not even star players don't always want the ball in the last seconds of a game. Kuzma's wants it and is making it. So that to me is notable uh, as well for him. All on that plus all on that positive. So, you know, is it, do you run out that, that group? Do you hope that Porzingis is, is, you know, going to give you the 55 to 60 games next season? Do you backfill at the guard position and what kind of a, a team, what, what's a reasonable estimate for wins at a team with that composition, is it a 44 win team or is that like four too high? Is it a 40 win team? I mean, we're, we're, we're gonna, I, I um, had great uh, expectations for this season's iteration to, to exceed the 33 and a half wins that were forecasted by the desert. I mean, it's a little bit up in the air. They should still get to 34 wins, but oh, there's think- no... I, no guarantee. I, I believe I may have uh, checked that uh, that situation out myself. Um, so, so here's the question. Though, ultimately, a lot happened today, and trade days are always exciting, fun to talk about. It'll be really intriguing to see if Porzingis plays. How he looks, obviously, it's a shame we won't get to see him out there with Beal. But okay, we'll get to see him with some of the other guys if he's out there. And even if he's not, you know, like you said, it's an opportunity for some of these younger guys. Can we get? You know, can we can we turn Rui and De- or Denny? into a guy that by the end of the year we're saying hey you know this guy looks like a real rotation player for, for washington but did it really change anything 
ultimately the whole point for this thing forever has been they can't get out of the mediocre stage. And it, let's just say that Beal stays and it gets paid the five-year max. Porzingis is getting is going to have salaries of over thirty million dollars in each of his two seasons here. Effect, I, I and sorry, I don't have the numbers in front of me as to what they're at with cap space, but I can't comprehend they're in a great spot. I mean, they're, they're not. They're 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 bumping up again. They're not at the tax, and this deal helps them. Um, they definitely save some money by um, shortening up the duration of the combo of Dinwiddie and and um, Bertans together. But in terms of like cap space next year, can they go out and do something significant? I, I think, think they have mid-level max room. Okay. Um, so you're looking at potentially a Bradley Beal, KCP, I'm sorry, uh, Porzingis. I, ho- I hope I hope uh, Porzingis' middle name doesn't start with a C. Then we have two KCPs. Um, Beal, Porzingis, Kuzma, and I guess whatever they do at point guard, which presumably would be with this uh, with the mid-level uh, situation. What is that doing for anybody? Now, obviously, a lot of it depends, like, you know, Brooklyn, who knows what's going to happen there. They just made a huge deal, Harden out, Ben Simmons in, Philly, Milwaukee, uh, Miami's always a threat. Cleveland has been a big surprise this year. You know, the Bulls have been a little up and down, but they've been good. Like, did the Wizards actually improve their status? So, yeah, it's a 40 to 44 win team at best next season, as as currently configured. The, the, The fulcrum um deal is 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 Beal so you know and the possibilities are he exercises the player option which honestly doesn't strike me as a terrible idea because it buys himself the time to see with with the again a new team but a team that 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 intends to compete at least for a little while he can always I think all the way up until the first part of the fall agree to the extension i think the extension deadline goes all the way into like october or something like that i oh, think that's right so you're so you're saying because he's technically he's under contract for next year but he can opt out which is why we're all assuming he's going to go for the for the big money dollars um maybe i'm crazy i but the, if he took the player option it's 30 whatever million bucks that would be a way to buy time um and and he could still do the deal i think um you know off into the future and it would let the team you know build around him in whatever manner he wants and and then if he wants to be traded he could be traded and and do um the best deal he can do in that manner or they'll supermax him um but i think they have time i don't think they have to make the supermax um and put it in place as early as this summer you could i think they get through the free agency period in the draft first so the I guess the thing though is like when we discuss like are they actually better or worse right now, one of the things was that they always had this option of well they could possibly trade Beal. Once he signs the let's just say he stays, I mean I think the more likely scenario is if he stays he's going to take the five year money. I agree. I agree. But it, so if that happens, Bradley Beal's value on the trade market plummets because he's good. But now you're paying him to be the highest paid player effectively in the league. He's not that good. And if you do trade him to some team, you're not getting back a package of, you know, two stud young players and three picks or whatever your your hearts, whatever you dreamt about before. So that that's the other part of this. I mean, I, I was screaming that not screaming, but once they traded Westbrook, my take was this is the moment to trade Beal. You got out of the Westbrook deal. If you trade Beal now, you're effectively have a clean slate other than Bertan's contract, which it's not the biggest albatross right you could have started over but of course that's not what they want to do now they're either 
lose Beal for nothing or make him overpaid. And that's not a great spot. So I guess at the end of the day, it depends ultimately, I guess, on some level, how do you want to look at sports? If your goal is your team's got to win the title and this is what you're playing for, I don't have great news for you. But, hey, if you're like, hey, you know what? Three or four nights a week, I'm going to turn on the TV and I'm going to watch this team that I'm interested in play and I hope it's fun. And, you know, maybe maybe they get lucky. Maybe, you know, anything's possible. Then, then we have some positive signs for you. Because I think with Porzingis, if he can stay healthy, and you get one of those three, one of these three recent first round picks to uh, to become a, a, a legitimate starter, maybe they have a, a maybe get a lottery pick this year. Could have some fun, but I can't sit here and sell hope beyond the six seed upside that we were talking about last year. I, I mean, I think we're we are kind of treading water in, in that respect, although. It's a better treading water than the treading water we were confronted with by way of the disappointment of this season. Another area for growth that, that we should talk about is Wes, Wes Unsell Jr. I mean, he, we, if, we, if you want to be glass half full and generous about it, you would say the combination of the COVID string that the players were on plus the, the uh, um, challenge of reintegrating um, Rui and Thomas Bryant plus Coach Onseld himself going out with the COVID, all of that strung together um, has had the the impact in terms of trying to figure out some chemistry. And we don't know what was going on behind closed doors with guys like Trez and guys like uh, um, Dinwiddie. Um, but the the rotations have have been curious. Um, Gafford being in the doghouse has been frustrating. Um, seeing the the amount of time all the way up till Beal's injury of Beal and Dinwiddie on the floor together was kind of driving me crazy. So, but that's another area where, you know, coach gets his feet under him and the culture that you mentioned earlier, where we're maybe 10% less accommodative, right? 20% less accommodative. We can, we can, we don't have to keep, you know, kissing everybody's butt, every player's butt. You can come in with a game plan and say, here's the eight man rotation. Here are the two guys that occasionally will supplement it. This is the way we intend to play. I'm instilling a defensive um, game plan. That is my calling card coming from uh, Denver. Uh, and if you're, if you want to play, you're on board with that defensive game plan. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get time. I, I'll try and, 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 and give him the benefit of the doubt in that respect. For sure. Um, we will see. Um, <laughs> that's I, all I, we can say. We will see. I, I mean, like I said, I'm almost trying to like talk myself into it. Like, you know, if I keep trying, like I, I, I've, I've been screaming this for years that they're not really, really trying to win a title. I, I things I'm not saying they're working against it, but they're just not, it, there's, it's a business and they're running it in certain ways. And if I keep believing, like if I keep acting surprised that they make moves, based on what I've already said, I don't believe that they're trying, then that's just on me. That's just Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. So I guess it's just at some point, it's just like, all right. I mean, you know, it, it just gets a little, a little tough. Plus I pointed this out the other day, like the three teams that I've covered primarily in my career have been the Washington football team where the commanders, the wizard and Georgetown basketball with a little bit of Maryland basketball thrown in. I mean, good Lord. Like You're the, on a run, buddy. I mean, unfortunately, I'm only down to really deal with one of those teams. I just talk about the Wizards for fun, I guess. Uh, I mean, it, wow. I mean, just every team in town is going through massive d- dysfunction right now, at least the Wizards. 
to their credit, I guess, decided, all right, we need, we're not going to pretend we, we're going to run this back. Let's get off this and do something different. And uh, we'll see. They got, I don't know how many games they got left, but 30 odd games, give or take, to, to see what Porzingis, Porzingis can do if he plays. Like I said, kind of hope he doesn't. Go Tank. Uh, that's it. Go Tank. And if, if, if we, I need to send a six pack to Tommy Shepard, just let me know the address. Deal. Happy to do it. Uh, House, you are uh, a gentleman and a scholar. You came on, you, you know, I've sent out the bad signal relatively late, and you were like, okay, I got takes. Let's go. I really appreciate it. Um, everything else going all right in your uh, in your world? You got any big uh, – the Super Bowl is this weekend, if, if I assume you know. You got any uh, – you're, you're a gambler. You got any you Got any good – like you got one good prop bet that uh, yeah. I should well, do? Well, I, I don't know about a, a, a prop bet. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward – I feel like um, Ramsey is going to take away Jamar Chase, so I'm kind of on some T. Higgins plays. I like T. Higgins over – um, I think it's 18 and a half or 19 and a half yards for his longest reception. That might be my favorite prop, but overall, I just feel like it's going to be an under kind of game 48 and a half as the total. I like the under my favorite bet on the board is under 23 and a half in the first half, because I feel like these guys are going to come out, play conservative, um, kind of sumo wrestle on, on the, on the line a little bit, a lot of run calls, just both coaches trying to have their quarterbacks, first-time quarterbacks in the Super Bowl not out there throwing up on themselves and so we'll see some running plays and it'll take a little while to get the scoring ramped up um I I like it I'll I'll tell you this nobody's listening to this deep into the podcast (laughs) a couple of weeks ago I I I uh, I threw down a uh, very small wager on Aaron Donald's win MVP and the odds were like I think like basically if you if you bet a hundred bucks you'd win like 20 grand Awesome. So, I mean, I look, obviously, if, you know, Cooper Cup gets two touchdowns or Stafford, you know, those are the obvious ones. But I don't know if that defensive line against that offensive line and with the, That's it. With, the with the sense, everybody's talking about it, Aaron Donald's on the verge of becoming the best defensive lineman ever, or at least in the discussion for sure. Uh, strip sack fumble, two sacks and a strip sack fumble that gets returned for a touchdown. He, he doesn't even have to be the one that returns it. I like it. That was worth it. That was a good investment. 200 to one are good odds. Yeah, I didn't hate it. Um, <laughs> awesome, man. I appreciate yeah. it so much. We'll, uh, Always we'll... my pleasure, Mr. Ben. Thanks, man. Um, and that's it for this episode of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. If you have made it this long, mazel tov to you. Go, go take a nap. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Back next week with more podcasting here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Until next time, see ya.